Well, good evening. It's lovely to be here. And thank you for your warm welcome. Um, Mark and Megan got a Christmas letter from us because uh, we've known them a few years. And um, on it, we just, we just put a, a, um, a little take on a wonderful miracle that had happened um, last October. And um, I think on the strength of that, I got invited to come here tonight. Uh, so I'm going to tell you that miracle, but um, I'm going to leave that one to the end because uh, it is quite special. Um, so I'm going to just talk about healing and it being um, about God's love and a declaration of his goodness um, into this earth. Um, it's something that we need to see now, you can have all sorts of healing. So you, you may have a need of physical healing. Um, you may be on all sorts of pills, so you know what is wrong with you, um, and you may have a need like that. Um, you may have uh, a need of emotional healing. So it could be that... Um, something that happened to you a long time ago, um, some hurt that you had, uh, you carry with you, and it really affects who you are today. And um, it may be that your need of healing is, is something you know, to do with your mental well-being. And maybe you're somebody that suffers from depression or something else like that. So I'd just like you to put up your hand if you don't have a need of healing tonight. Might, I just thought some of the children might not have a need of healing, but they're not brave enough. So there's nobody here that doesn't need healing. That's a great start, isn't it? So um, we, we all know what we're here to receive, and God is good. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to do this talk in expectation. So, um, if you receive your healing while I'm speaking, I want you to wave at me furiously, okay? And I would just pause a little bit and take in what's happening. So, I just want you to be open. I want to put that out there, that that's something that God might do for you. So, I'd like you just to close your eyes for a minute. And I want you to pray a prayer from your heart that God would meet with you tonight. That he'd meet you in the full intensity of his love because that's what we all need. So pray that. And if you're really bold, I want you to pray that God would meet you at your point of greatest need. Okay? And all of God's people said, Amen. So you can open your eyes now. Now God's love is a powerful thing. And the two ways that I, that I just love to see that love manifest itself is one in salvation and two in healing. And uh, really salvation is, is a kind of healing, isn't it? And... Um, we're not meant to live in, in a parched place where um, we see these things once in a blue moon or hardly ever because these are the lifeblood of the Lord touching um, this world and our lives. How wonderful it is when we see somebody who's suddenly been born again, and we just have all that joy in their face. We are meant to see this often. And when a life is turned around because God's healing love just breaks over them, and they are set free or um, given a new lease of life because of what the Lord does, this is, this is part of the way that we are meant to live. And this is part of what church is. And when I see those things, it just confirms to me those two central truths, that God is good 
And we sing about that quite a lot in our songs now, don't we? God is good and God loves us. And uh, there's a little verse in John 4, John 4, 48, which says, where Jesus says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will never believe. And uh, the way that that verse is often interpreted as, is, uh, as if Jesus were cross with us. So unless you, unless you see these miracles, you won't believe. Well, Jesus was actually speaking um, to uh, a royal official, and this royal official was begging for Jesus to heal his child. So I wonder whether it was spoken in that vein, or whether really um, Jesus was saying that you need to see signs and wonders in order to believe. It's meant to be um, a part of life as it goes on, because the goodness and love of God is meant to be breaking over us all the time. And that's certainly the picture we see in the early church. Miracles are clearly a part of what Jesus did when he came, and it's what he very much encouraged his disciples to do. And I believe it's what we are meant to move in as the church. And miracles just help us, encourage us all the time to keep hanging on to what the world would tell us is not true. So it helps us to hang on to the fact that God is good and that he loves us and that God's world of heaven is meant to invade our world, earth, through us. So are you a part of that? Do you want to be a part of that? Um, It seems to me that so much of the church in the West has backed away um, from the supernatural, preferring, preferring to create in church an environment that is somehow um, uh, that we can all easily understand and control. And it just seems to me, as I study the scriptures, that that is not the way it's meant to be. Just think of the Israelites as they're taken from captivity in uh, Egypt through uh, the wilderness to the promised land. And they were released from slavery in Egypt through supernatural acts. They were taken through the Red Sea by a supernatural act. They were sustained daily as they moved through the wilderness um, by... Um, food that had been um, provided supernaturally, the manna that came and the quail that came. And the way that they understood God to be with them was that his presence manifested itself as um, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And they were meant to grasp what Mark read to us from Exodus 33, that um, unless God's presence went with them, um, then they wouldn't want to move from where they were at that point. Because God was through that training, all all that supernatural activity, he was training them to trust in him. And uh, we, we, we don't need to sort of ponder too long on how it worked out for most of the Israelites because they never quite got it. Um, but some of them did. And uh, Joshua was a man who got it. And where, by the time he came to enter the promised land and to lead the Israelites into the place that God had chosen for them... Um, he, he had that understanding of the importance of God being so close to them and going with them and leading them and guiding them. So this is the way I believe that it's meant to be. 
And I want to tell you some healing miracles tonight because I think they'll encourage you. Um, I want to speak about them in terms of love because there are three miracles I'm going to tell you tonight and um, on each of them I significantly felt that my heart went out when I prayed. I want to tell you these miracles as honestly as I can um, and the way I felt about them at the time because I think it's important for some of you at least to debunk the idea that there's anything special in the people who pray. I really haven't got a clue what I'm doing, but somehow God blesses me sometimes. Um, And I want to tell you that in this way, um, as honestly as I can, because I believe, well, what I want is for God to have all the glory. So... um, Sometimes I think that we think that we need more faith to pray for miracles. Um, But actually, I think we need more love. Uh, Jesus tells us that faith the size of a mustard seed can move a mountain. Um, So I don't think we have faith problems. I think we have love problems. And we need love sufficient to actually stop for the person on the street who God is calling us to pray for and to start a conversation, to tell them that God loves them and to offer to pray for them. So I don't think it's faith we often lack. I think it's, it's love. And so I started really praying for healing not so long ago Um, It was uh, 2013, really, when things started to significantly change for me. And uh, I went with our youth group to Soul Survivor, and Robbie Dawkins was doing some after-meeting, after the big tent thing in the evening, and he was just sort of showing how you could... um, uh, pray for people with back pain. So he had about three people with back pain and he was um, asking the spirit to come and asking their level of pain. And all these people got better. And I thought, well, I could do that. <laughs> and then I, I went on a, a, a mission in Overton near Basingstoke. And um, we, we had a healing meeting as part of this mission. And um, Paul Skelton, if you know him, he was leading uh, that healing meeting. And all of us on the visiting team were meant to pray for people who had come. And uh, there, there was one lady there called Mary, and she was in a wheelchair. She um, obviously couldn't walk, and um, her son, who was her carer, had come with her. And um, he had a frozen shoulder through lifting her, and, um, you know, he was agony, in agony. Well, his shoulder got healed almost instantly, and he was there waving it about and showing what he could do. So that was encouraging. And there were lots of people being prayed for, but nobody wanted to pray for Mary. Um, I think because praying for somebody in a wheelchair is obviously a challenge. And I have a son who's in a wheelchair... He's 32 now, and he has cerebral palsy. He's quite disabled. And I looked at this lady, and I knew that what she would want to pray for was that she could walk. And um, nobody was going up to her, so I thought, well, have a go. And um, it was most unsuccessful. She was actually a very difficult person to pray for because um, she, uh, I think she had some some mental problems, and, and so she was... Um, she talked nine to the dozen and then you could just get a little comment in at the end before she gushed out with another um, nine to the dozen and, and, and but we prayed for her and she stood and I don't think that was that significant and she said that her legs felt um, like they were lead and um, some of that pain seemed to go but she wasn't quite sure so I, I probably spent an hour or so praying for this lady and I just thought well at least I've tried and I didn't have any great faith 
And um, she went back and sat down in her wheelchair and she went home that night. And the next morning, she rang up um, the team and what had happened was she'd um, got home and gone out of the car. Instead of getting back into her wheelchair, she'd walked into her house. She then had... um, the best night's sleep that she'd had in years without using any um, tablets to help her sleep. And she um, didn't have any pain. So well, the next year, that, that day, I was just so busy with things that this mission had asked me to do that I couldn't visit her. But I visited her the following day. And you know how you feel at that stage. You think, well, that was really good to hear that that's happened to Mary. But I thought, well... Um, perhaps it won't be so good when I go round. So I knock on her door, and the door is opened by Mary, and she's leaping around, so pleased to see me, and uh, she's dancing in her hall. Well, it was quite amazing. So they, they took us through to their conservatory, and so you've got the sun there, who's got a healed shoulder, Mary, who can now walk, and her husband, I met him, and he had, um, he, he had a lot of difficulty with his hearing, so we prayed for him, and he got some of his hearing back. And um, isn't it amazing what God can do, even when you don't seemingly have a lot of faith, but... You put something out there that um, is a little bit bold. You just have a go, and you just see what God will do. Um, and we, I went with somebody else, and we, we, we prayed with them, this, just this, this family, and I said, well, God has done something very special for you. And I just feel that God has something for you as a family to take what you have received out for others. And that was, that was one thing that happened early on, so quite a time ago. Um, and I went, went to Columbia the next year, and I saw the most, I saw healings there that are off the scale. I'm not going to tell you any of those, because I want, I think God's asked me to give you miracles that happened in this country, because I think that's important. And the next one I want to tell you about is a lady called Victoria. Victoria came to our church and she was a godparent in a a little christening, but she didn't have any developed faith, uh, any real idea of God. And she had a little child, and as the conversation went on, it, it came out that she was pregnant again. But she'd had, in between, lots of miscarriages, so she had a real difficulty carrying a child and actually giving birth to a viable um, child. So um, she'd lost five or six, I think it was, by then, in between the first child being born and um, seeing me. But she was pregnant, very early stages. And this one was different because... I, my heart went out to this lady because she was in tears as she explained all this. And um, she was just crying out to me if there was anything I could do to help her keep the child that was in her womb. And, um, sorry to get emotional, but... Um, um, and this one was different because... When I prayed for her, I got a surge of faith. I don't think it came from in me, it came from God. And I said to her that I was 100% certain that she would carry full term. She said to me later that um, when she heard me say those words, she thought it might be possible for her perhaps to go six months and then to have the child but never to go full term well she went off and she went to her 
consultant. She was under lots of consultants. And uh, they, they did the scan. And they said, uh, I'm sorry, Victoria. Um, the placenta is really weak. Um, you know, the substance isn't getting to the baby. And this is going to be another unsuccessful pregnancy. So she came back to me in church again and, and all sad. And I said, I don't care what they say. God has done this. The next time she went to the consultant, it was exactly the same. Um, they, they told her, this, this child is not going to survive. The placenta is just not working. Um, and I encouraged her again and prayed for her again and said I was sure that God had done this. The next time she went to the consultant, it was slightly different because they said, the placenta is still weak and sustenance doesn't seem to be getting through to the baby. You know, it's just not a viable placenta. And, uh, but, um, and we can't explain this, but the baby seems to be developing normally. And um, so Victoria says to them, well, I think I know why, because they prayed for me down at the church. And uh, all the medical team said, I'm sorry, but we don't believe in miracles. And this baby continued to progress until Victoria was about six months. And then she gave her heart to Jesus. I'm sorry about this. I'm, uh... I haven't spoken about these miracles in quite a while. I think I'm just too connected to them. Um, anyway, um, Victoria was full of joy at finding the Lord and just responding to his goodness. And she went all the way to nine months. And she went in to be induced. And... Uh, She'd been in there about 48 hours and uh, nothing had happened. <laughs> so I just, we were just texting, so, uh, or, or WhatsApping or whatever it was. So I, I did a silly thing, really. I, I mean, I prayed and I, set, and I sent her a text saying, watch out, I've just prayed. Well, the baby... The baby came, and the baby is called Alana. And Victoria brought Alana into church and told the story that I'm telling you. And she finished off, she was standing next to me at the front of church, and she said, um, I got that message from you that you just prayed. And the baby came within half an hour and now I'm really sore and it's your fault. <laughs> the scripture I want to use tonight is Jesus going into the synagogue. It's his home synagogue of Nazareth at the start of his ministry. And um, he, he picks up the scripture, the, the role of scripture for um, Isaiah, and reads from what we know as Isaiah 61. And the people that heard it, you know, I think they didn't think that there was anything particular in it. But actually... Jesus had totally connected with this piece of scripture and he knew that it was about him um, and that it, it deeply resonated with him as, as to what his calling was. Um, and he said to them, he read out to them, the spirit of the Lord is on me because... He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners 
and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And it was only when he said to them, he put the scroll back and he said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, that they realised what it meant to him. And, of course, they, they try and throw him off the cliff, but he, it isn't his time, and he just walks through the crowd. And we can have times when a scripture resonates with us that strongly that that is our call as human beings and what God um, has destined for us to be a part of. And I hope that this scripture, I, I want as I preach this, for you to understand that this is your calling too. And the calling is just so powerful when you understand what it's saying. I don't think that Jesus healed the sick to prove that he could um, and that he was God. He healed the sick to prove that we could. And so he says, just, just quickly going through this, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me. And uh, Bill Johnson is very good, I think, at saying this. He says that the spirit is in me for me, but it's on me for you. And that's true of you too. So the spirit is in you for you, but the spirit is on you for other people. And there's something about that saying that the spirit is on you um, that, that almost sort of takes your breath away. I, I get a feeling when I say that, and I know that I need to reverence his, the spirit on me in a way that takes all my sensitivity um, to um, just to be in tune with what he wants and what he's calling into being. And he then goes on and says, to proclaim good news to the poor. And I think this goes in healing as well, but it's amazing how Jesus' bias is towards the marginalised. And um, it can be that we are poor because we don't have financial resources, but I think um, we can we can be poor because we are sick um, and we just desperately need a hand of help that can't come to us through human means. And Jesus' heart is full of compassion for those on the margins and he wants us to have that same priority, to prioritise them. And he goes on and says, he sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. And all, all sorts of things make us prisoners. Um, but I want you to know that we are not marked by the past, but by the love that Jesus has for us in the present. We're not marked by the past, but by the love that Jesus has for us in the present. He doesn't condemn you. He never does. You are totally free from accusation and set free in Christ. He comes to give recovery of sight to the blind. And of course, when, when a blind person is given sight, that opens up a whole new world. And that is so characteristic of who Jesus is and what he brings when he comes. He's always opening a whole new world. And he comes to set the oppressed free. So prisoners are captives, but the oppressed are those who are crushed by their circumstances. Well, if that's you tonight, then Jesus wants to lift you up out of that, because that is not where you belong. And finally, Jesus says that he comes to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And I, I'm sure you'll, you'll 
scholars in Bible study, and you know that that's a reference to the Old Testament concept of the year of Jubilee. Uh, and somehow, all those things that he mentions, um, good news to the poor, freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, are all an understanding of Jubilee. The time of God's acceptance has begun. That's what Jesus was saying. The enemy comes to kill, to steal and to destroy, but Jesus came to give life and to restore what was stolen and some and to make whole where lives have become fragmented and broken. And you'll find a reference to this concept of the year of Jubilee in Leviticus 25. And what happened was every 50 years they were meant to proclaim a year of Jubilee and there was a trumpet, a special Jubilee trumpet that was meant to be blown to... um, remind them that the year was about to be started. And in this year, all the debts were to be written off. The slaves were to be set free, and ancestral lands that had been sold were to be restored to their original families. And I just want you to sort of think through what that meant for a family for whom everything had fallen apart. So when, when the promised land was taken over, um, each tribe um, of the Israelites were given a portion of land and every family within the, the portion that that tribe had would have had their lands, their ancestral lands. And if... If you got into debt as a family and you got to that point where you could not pay, you might sell your ancestral lands. It was a desperate thing to do because that was the way you got your livelihood. Um, And if even that was not enough to satisfy your creditors, then you would have to go into slavery you would become, come under the ownership of the person to whom you owed that debt. And it wasn't just you, but it would have been your wife and your children. And at that point, there is no way out. For all your family, you will stay in slavery, um, you know, generation after generation. That means that, just imagine it, your, your children's children will be born into slavery and there's no way out. But God had provided for the year of Jubilee. But it, uh, as far as we know, it was never called into being. That Jubilee trumpet was never blown. And God was not pleased. Now it's easy to see why the year of Jubilee was never invoked because if you had the benefit of those debts, you didn't want to write them off. If you'd come into somebody else's ancestral lands, then um, you, you hardly wanted to give them back if you'd bought them. And uh, if you had slaves, they were really rather handy and you didn't want to set them free. But God had other ideas. And what I want just to develop just in just a moment is this, this idea that um, Jesus comes and he says, well, you never had that year of jubilee, he's saying as he reads this scripture in the synagogue in Nazareth, but I want to have a much bigger idea of jubilee break over all the people, especially the people who are struggling, who are up against it, who are marginalised. I want um, the goodness of God to break over them and for them to be set free. And so that, of course, is our task too. But just, just think what it means 
It means that all the oppression and captivity of the enemy, from captivity to evil spirits, through to being slaves to fear, slaves to to doubt, slaves to depression, through through to being slaves to guilt and shame, Jesus was going to set people free from it all. All those who were held captive by disease, just think of those people who had leprosy in Jesus' day, who were ostracized from their families and from their villages, um, who had to live in a separate leper colony, um, and just had no hope that that would ever change, and that they would have to die with that disease, and that would be their lot. And Jesus comes in, and he sets them free. Just think of those people with disability. We have the man with the shriveled arm. We have people who are begging by the wayside and can't walk. Um, we, we, we have people who are blind and cannot see. All sorts of disability out there. And they think that they will go to the grave carrying that with them. And um, Jesus says no. You're going to be restored. You're going to be made whole. That which is impossible with man is possible with God. And I'm coming to proclaim a mighty jubilee over you. And this idea of jubilee is just so big. And it's what our world is crying out for today. And it's so important because we are... Jesus' successors in this work, that we actually take this jubilee to um, the people who are desperate, who um, think that there is no way out of their situation and think that they have to live with some terrible oppression until the day they die and take it to their grave with them. Um, There are many people languishing in jails such as the ones that I have mentioned and nobody tells them that Jesus has done it all to set them free. I don't know whether you've heard of Houdini, I suspect a lot of you have, but he was a a famous escapologist, an illusionist, sort of about 1870 to 1920s, sometime like that. And um, he got sort of dangled in a straight jacket from a high wire and escaped and got um, uh, uh, tied up in all sorts of chains and padlocks and um, put in a cask and sunk in the river and escaped. He was that sort of a guy. And he was doing his tour around Europe when he was gaining his fame. And as he went about with his shows, he would say to the local police force and... um, the uh, prison officers in the local prison that if um, you know they would lock him in one of their cells he would guarantee he could escape and whatever the lock system was of of that jail or that police um, uh, um, cell that he would get out within five minutes it was amazing every time until one day he was locked in this prison cell he was put in this prison cell and about half an hour later, Houdini could not work out what was going on until the prison officer came and pushed the door open because they'd played a trick on him and they hadn't locked it. And that is how it is for us. Jesus has done everything. He's won the keys of death and hell and he's opened the gates and people don't need to live in bondage anymore. And I want to finish just by telling you the story of Finley, which I promised you at the beginning. I've set it in this idea of Jubilee, which I hope you're getting a hold of, um, because the miracle speaks so loudly of Jubilee. So in October, I went to Bedworth near Coventry, to do another mission, be on another mission team. And um, 
there were about 10 in the visiting team and we each went out each day door knocking with somebody from the home church we were working for the Baptist church there and uh, one day I was sent out with a lady called Sheena and we were given a road on which to knock on the doors and Sheena said before we do that can we visit this guy called Finley I was putting some leaflets about this mission down his road and I had a little chat with him and he told me that his son had committed suicide um, six months before and he was really sad um, and I'd love to go back and for us to visit him. So we did that. We went and knocked on his door and he welcomed us in. Um, And he'd made his little front room into a shrine to his son and also to his dog, who had died, both of the ashes were there and um, it was really shrine-like and really unhealthy in terms of you know, the way that grief was being dealt with but it was acute and you could understand why he was dealing with it in that way and we spent a long time listening to Finley and just answering his questions about his son Craig and and what we thought had gone on there and where he was now and all those sorts of things that people who have lost somebody um, want to ask. And uh, we were very sensitive to him. Um, But after about an hour, I said, Finley, can I just give you some good news? Can I explain the gospel to you? And I used the bridge illustration. He asked lots of questions as we went through it. And at the end, he wanted to give his heart to Jesus. Um... And he, he was just, you're going to see a video of him in a minute, he's just such a lovely, honest guy, and he did it with all integrity, giving his heart fully to the Lord, and he immediately felt the most amazing joy. Uh, it was lovely to behold, because in, in that atmosphere of the most intense grief, suddenly you had joy. Of course, he hadn't got over the grief, but he had joy uh, in the Lord in that grief. And he'd explained to us, Um, as this conversation had gone on how he'd had his shoulders and his right leg crushed in a work accident ten years before and he was in the most intense pain all the time and very restricted movement he got about in one of those motorised scooters um, uh, and he couldn't work anymore he was disabled and we said could we pray for you so he said yes and we said well what can we pray for first he said well my shoulders I take all these prescribed painkillers I can't move very much now I'm quite a big man but I can't move very much and um, I'm in huge pain so we lay hands on him and we pray and he says that's amazing all the pain has gone and I've got all my movement back and I wasn't praying with any particular faith (laughs) Um, you know, any more than normal, I think. I think, but anyway, you, you kind of thought, Are you sure? <laughs> but he was sure that this was right, so I thought, All right, okay, well, what can we pray for next? And he said, Well, this right knee, this got truly sn- smashed up, and it's this, this is one of the most painful bits of me, and I just feel this, pun- you know, intense, sharp pain all the time. So we prayed for that, and he says, that's amazing, all the pain's gone and I've got all my movement back and he moves it around and we think, okay, alright, well Finney, what can we pray for next? He said, well, the, when, I, when my leg got smashed the femur bone here got broken in three places and the way it healed, there's all these huge lumps of callusing in there and it feels really strange it feels really odd, my leg and I, I really don't like that okay, so we say, well, we pray for the leg and he says all the callousing's gone okay I think I should tell you at this stage this got all checked out by his doctor and it all happened then because he won't believe me otherwise um, and then he said well I've got one bit of callousing on this leg so we prayed for that that went and because because this this femur had you know been broken in so many places and healed this leg was two inches shorter than this leg so um, he had built up shoes so we said well can we pray for that and uh, so we got him with his 
backside against the sofa, nice and square. We lifted up his legs, and sure enough, one was two inches shorter than the other. And so we asked um, for the right leg to grow. And he said, do you know, that's really odd, because I can feel something moving in the upper part of my right leg. Um, And then he said, I can feel something moving in the upper part of my left leg. And um, so it went from two inches different to half an inch difference. And that's how we left him on the first day. Um, I went back the second day. This time I I took, um, I happened to take somebody who was actually a medical doctor from Kent who was on the visiting team. I think think all that sort of the extra half inch is about that doctor seeing um, the leg grow the other half an inch, which which it did the next day. So um, that doctor checked him out. Um, and the hips were balanced and, and Finley was really good and um, he, went, he went off his painkillers which he shouldn't have done but he went to his doctor on the Monday and um, uh, the doctor checked all these things out and confirmed they were right and put him on a regime where he um, came off them more gradually but he didn't need those painkillers. And what I think is splendid about this is because I took this little video of him on the second day. Can we have it? This is Finley. Andrew. <laughs> Tell us what happened yesterday. Well, knock, we're on the door. Sheena and yourself, Andrew, come. We're talking about God. Um, I told you about my injuries. Can you hear and, that. and you yeah. says, do you believe in God? I said, yes. And... Sheena put her hand on my stomach and it was it went on fire. Yeah. Then she says, you've got trouble with your leg. And yourself and Sheena put my legs up. You were praying for me and God came through Sheena and yourself. Um, and I haven't got any, any uh, pain in the right leg, but I'm, I'm sure I wear a club boot and I don't have to do it now. It's... It's growing. It's grew. I don't, you know what I mean? A bit, bit frightening though. That's but, right. So first of all, Finley, you, you gave your heart to Jesus, didn't that's you? That's right, sir. And, and, and what did that feel like? Well, I'm, I'm still unclad now. <laughs> I'm all fuzzy. And you said you had that burning in your chest yeah, burning, then? She yeah, touched me and the tingling on my head. Yeah. Um, and when you prayed for me and she and I, yeah. everything just seemed to lift. Yeah. I've been happy Larry since. <laughs> and you, now you, you had a work accident, so your That's shoulders right. and your leg got yeah. crushed. That's right. And so you'd got a lot of pain in your shoulders. Yeah. yeah. That's right. And you couldn't move. So show, show them what you can do now. Yeah. Do that. And you could do never, that. you could never do that before. Yeah. Um, I haven't tried it yet, but I have difficulty wiping me yeah. <laughs> um, I haven't tried it. Yeah. But I can reach there now. Woo! Yeah. Thank well, you. that's a useful thing, isn't it? Thank you. Thank you. So, um, uh, you had all this pain, yeah. um, in your shoulders and all that's gone. And you, you haven't had any painkillers today, have you? No painkillers. I've got blood pressure and things like that. Yeah. No painkillers. Yeah. Hand on heart. Thank yeah. you. So when I prayed for you yesterday, there was two inches difference in the length of your leg. So your right leg was two inches shorter than your left leg. And we prayed, and they're not quite the same yet, but I reckon there's half an inch difference now. Yeah? Yeah. And I'm going to pray for you again in a minute. Let's see if we can get the other half inch. But that is fantastic. God is good. God is good. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. What? Oh, Diane, like, I mean, she'll be here tomorrow, at Friday. Yeah. Uh, pray for her. Yeah. I mean, please. Thank God, you. God, pray for her. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, Finley. Hello, Andrew. Uh, Andrew. That, we've done it now. That's right. We'll get back to the beginning. And we met uh, Finley's wife, um, Diane, on the Friday. Um, she worked, and that was her day that she didn't work. And we thought, actually, she'd be so pleased at what had happened to Finley... Um, that she would just want to become a Christian immediately. But actually, we had to do a lot of listening with her. She wasn't, 
she wasn't quite sure about what had happened to Finley. She actually couldn't really take it in. It was, it was too soon, but so she described herself as building up walls. She talked through her son's death and all that, and, and she was building up walls to protect herself. But we listened to her and we led her to Jesus too. And um, they went into that Baptist church on the, on the next Sunday. And Finley took his boots with all the made-up heel, waving them. And uh, they took their grandchildren too. They have children by a daughter who's sadly living with a uh, a drug addict and a guy, and he's also an alcoholic, and, and, and there's a real problem there. But Finley and his wife Diane are really going on with the Lord. And even though they lived in a tiny, small world, um, Diane is talking to people in church and, and making friends, which is for her a huge step. And um, they're, they're learning about Jesus and loving it. And I speak to him every so often. He rang me last week, and he's still full of joy um, that the Lord has saved him and transformed his life. So just think of that as we finish this bit in terms of Jubilee. A man who had had a work accident, and then his son's death, death sort of makes him turn inward on himself, and he thinks that he is going to go to his grave with those work accidents, you know, the outworking of the, that work accident, all that pain, all those bits of him that didn't move, one leg short and the other, um, in a mobility school, um, scooter, and suddenly the jubilee that Jesus brings breaks over him and his wife and it's spreading to his grandchildren and to his daughter. And if you want somebody to pray for, pray for this man that she's with, who's a drug addict and alcoholic, that the, the jubilee will break over him too. And that this will keep on cascading on. And suddenly, from going into that little front room, made into a shrine... And when we went in, there being no hope, suddenly there is life. Suddenly there is a future. And this is what Jesus does. <laughs>